0: Summer is over. I know it's officially over because it's Labor Day weekend, but also because Liz brought in Pumpkin Spice uh, Twinkies for the kids. I didn't know that they made Pumpkin Spice Twinkies, but this is a real thing. We looked for Pumpkin Spice communion elements, but they did not make them. So we are going to go old school today, no Pumpkin Spice. But this means that we're ending our mind-blowing phase series, and we've been through a lot. We talked about naked prophets. Thank goodness I was gone. I was on vacation. Thank goodness my father-in-law only took off his shoes. If you know my father-in-law, you know that's a good thing. He only took off his shoes, but we talked about naked prophets. We talked about uh, uh, time standing still. We talked about the army of 300 of Gideon's army slaughtering 135,000 people. We talked about a lot. We talked about four lepers in the siege. We talked about uh, Paul calling out demons we talked about a lot. Now, there's always a strategic nature to me. So there's a reason we did this mind-blowing faith series. Because one of the things that that I had the goal of, is and I say this over and over again, is building up our faith muscles. We have to build up our faith muscles as a community. And so we we looked at this and we said, okay, what are we going to look at? We're going to look at stories that do this. Only God could do that. Only God could do that because we as a church are doing this thing, and I apologize because I will always drive people to this. To the point of faith, this line where we say, okay, God, you have to come through or I'm going to look like a fool. Do you ever feel that? Part of living a faith is coming to the point of like, okay, now I need only God because I'm going to look like a fool. I've taken it to the point. i followed you, Jesus. And now I need you to come through. And the mind-blowing faith stories were all about this. People who were experiencing similar stories to us, but had their mind blown by God coming through. And so as we're doing this, I'm saying, hey, this is what we're going to learn, is how does God come through for each of us. So today, we're going to talk about the most mind-blowing story in the Bible. And it's not really a story. I mean, it is a story, but it's not really a story. It's literally the most mind-blowing thing, and to end our mind-blowing faith series is the person who, Jesus the person of Jesus Christ it's all about Jesus that God would send his only son that his son would choose and be able to say I'm good coming down here on earth right to come in the most humble way to come as a baby to live those awkward teenage years we don't ever get any of that stuff but I guarantee they were awkward (laughs) to to work a job as a carpenter to choose to live both fully human and fully God at the same time. Yeah. This is what Jesus chose to do. He was tempted, he suffered, he experienced all the ups and the downs and the sidewaysness of the human experience that each one of us should get to experience. And ultimately, he died the most gruesome death. We could end there. Showstopper. Mind-blowing, that's it. If we just said, this is who Jesus is, then it'd be like, man, that will preach. But then we also have this other side, right? We see this side of of this earthly Jesus where where he's setting up all these amazing miracles, he has all these teachings, he has all these ways of Jesus, this upside-down kingdom stuff, and that would preach too for mind-blowing faith. But what I wanna talk about is when I was praying to God, I said, hey God, what do you have in mind to end this series for where our body is at. And God's, I knew it was about Jesus, but he pointed me to the book of Hebrews. And I really felt that the spirit was saying, hey, call call them and preach, not just of the Jesus of 2000 years ago, but we're gonna preach on the Jesus right now. Jesus right now, the active living Jesus today, because it's really mind blowing stuff. It's mind blowing stuff to think that in this instant, in this moment that Jesus is active and Jesus is active today. And so we're going to go through that. Mind-blowing stuff right here in this instance. So i want to start here. This is a risk that I'm willing to take. I'm going to start off by talking about soccer. I don't know of everyone. I know that Garrett's good. I know that Gabe, I know that Kevin, you're good. Everyone else is like, I can't believe that he's talking about soccer. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but I'm learning about something in soccer. As you know, I, I worked in Europe for three years. I, when you work in Europe, you have to begin to uh, like soccer. I just, it just is what it is. You can't talk to anybody without enjoying the beautiful game of football. And so I just want to talk about uh, soccer because Abe's getting started. So here's a look at what soccer is supposed to look like. So throw that out, uh, the first picture. This is to my team, Hot, Tottenham Hotspurs. If you're looking for a team, we're welcome to the Tottenham you know, uh, bandwagon. But basically, they're losing 3-0 in this game, but that's not a big deal. I was gonna find a video, but look at how they're spaced. Look at how there's a position. It's called the most beautiful game in the world, and if you begin to, begin to, to lo- love it, you understand, because there's a fluid to it. Everyone knows their position, they know what they're supposed to do, and they find their position, and when everyone's in their position and they're moving as one, it flows. Now here's a second picture. This is me uh, trying to teach Abe. This is seven-year-old soccer. Seven-year-old soccer does not look like uh, English Premier Soccer. If you notice, that's his whole team surrounding him as Abe is trying to dribble the ball out of the goal. And uh, it's really just mass chaos. It's really everyone going after the ball and no one knows their position. And so seven-year-old looks like a bunch of people bunching up chasing the ball and everyone plays every position. Okay. It's not very pretty, it's not the most beautiful game. But his coach this year is teaching him positions. And, and his coach said to me, he said, man, if, we, if in soccer, if you just teach kids the position and where they're supposed to be at the right time, things begin to happen. And so if you have everyone in the right place at the right time, you begin to kick the ball down the field and you begin to score. And so it's really interesting because everyone playing the right position, good things happen. And I believe that that's true of our faith at the same time. I believe that's true of our faith. I was thinking about the importance of how we position Christ in our lives. Do we position him as Lord? Do we position him as king? And where the Lord pointed me out in this Bible, uh, in the Bible is do we position him as high priest? Do we understand what's happening right now as Jesus as the high priest? Because when it comes to our Christian faith, I think it, we should look more like that first picture where everything is in the right position and everything's flowing and right things are happening and it's this beautiful order because everything is moving in a beautiful order. When we put christ in the right position everything begins to move but so oftentimes our 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 lives look like the photo of abes team right so often our faith looks like this many of us don't understand who christ is and what he's actively doing right now his position and what he's doing and when we understand it we understand how to deal with god how to deal with each other how to deal with our sin and our temptation when we understand that Jesus is active right now. Because I think think our faith looks a lot more like us chasing the ball around and kicking each other in the shin. And I think that's true. I think sometimes that's what it is. When we let the need for control rule our faith, or we let our insecurities or our worries rule our faith, or we let our desires for accomplishment and notoriety rule our faith, what we see is that we look a lot more like that. Now back to the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews helps us understand the positioning of Christ right here in this moment. And, and you know, it's incredible. There's life-changing truth that happens when we put Christ in the right position in our lives. So I want to ask you, as we begin, where would you say that you put Christ in, in your life? Where, where is Christ right now in your life? In this very moment, is he just kind of a, a thing that when I get around the church, that's when I kind of bring it in? Is, is he really ruler of your life is he active in your life? Where is Jesus when it comes to all your decisions and everything that you do? Do you understand what's actively happening in the heavenly realms right now? You know, my good friend Brent, I don't know if Brent's here or not, but uh, he helped me with this because I, I always love to. If you, you always talk to Brent about the Bible, but especially in the book of Hebrews, he knows what's going on there. And, and the book of Hebrews over and over again highlights one main point. And that main point is the, is the superiority of Jesus. Where is Jesus? The book of Hebrews gives us amazing clarity and helps us reignite a sense of wonder with Jesus. No matter how long you've been a person of faith, you need it, we need a sense of wonder about the person of Jesus. He's writing to a Jewish Christian audience and, and it helps. And, and they're, they're, they're ones who have embraced Jesus as the Messiah. But what happens is there seems to be a bit of a problem. So this Jewish uh, Christian faith through following Jesus, there's a problem that's happening. And because of uh, persecution or opposition, they begin to think this, is this worth it? Is following Jesus worth it? Is this faith thing worth it? it? It's a common question. You might be lying if you say I've never felt that. Because I think many of us have felt that at some point in our lives. Where it's like, man, is this worth following Jesus? Because sometimes it gets too hard. Sometimes it gets too hard to serve. Sometimes it gets too hard to come to church. Sometimes it gets too hard to not follow the way of the world because that way seems so much easier and so much better sometimes. And we can all relate to this. But these Christians seem to be considering abandoning their faith. They're just going to be done with it. And they're going to go back to their old ways. And it seems like they may be starting to doubt whether Jesus is the real thing. And throughout the letter, the author is going to make it abundantly clear. Jesus is superior to every possible thing that you could ever put yes. into his place. That's, right. That's ultimately the story. He's going to say he is superior to everything that you could put into his place. And the author is going to tell us, look, angels can't even hang with Jesus. This is where his position is. Angels can't even hang with Jesus. Hebrews 1, 4-5. So he became so much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. The author is saying Jesus is the ultimate spiritual being. He's the ultimate spiritual being. He's going to go on, he's going to say, he's superior to any prophet. He's superior to Moses and to Aaron and to Joshua. He's going to say his covenant, Jesus's covenant, is way more superior than the old covenant. It's amazing. In this section, he's going to say, say, look, earthly priests can't hang with Jesus. They can't hang with Jesus. And he's going to say earthly kings cannot hang with Jesus. Jesus is superior to all. So let's not put our faith in them. That's what he's saying. Every part of of our being should put our faith and our trust and our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's going to make it clear on why and how Jesus is better than everything and everything else. So he's going to make this doctoral anchor right here with the goal of keeping us from drifting from our faith, which we can so easily do. Now, one of the things that's amazing about the book of Hebrews is it goes into great detail about Jesus beyond his earthly ministry. There's not very many places in the Bible that talk about Jesus beyond his earthly ministry. And so what we see is that the book was critical for early believers and for us to build this thing called a Christology. A Christology. So what is a Christology? A Christology is, uh, is a way for individuals in the church to build a theology Not just around the person of Jesus and the death of Jesus, but actually what's happening in the ascension. What happened in the ascension when Jesus died and was uh, buried and then resurrected and then there's this ascension part. And what's happening after that? And so the the book of Hebrews is going to talk about Jesus's position now and what's actually happening real time in this moment. So we jump in here. It's important for us to understand that as we sit in this room, as you watch online, as you listen to the podcast, this is happening real time. In the moment, Jesus is actively doing this. And so we're going to paint the picture because the book of Hebrews helps us understand this. And, And he's going to say... He's going to help us move past our earthly perspective where we all find ourselves trapped in, and he is going to move us into the cosmos. He's going to move us into the heavenly realms where it's so important for us to understand because in the heavenly place, there is order and there is structure and there is, there is activity that is happening right now. So let's jump into Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Yeah. The Israelites and the Jewish people had these earthly high priests, right? We're not going to go into too much depth because most of you know it, but there's these earthly high priests, and they were chosen by the people to represent them to God. So the Old Testament, the primary purpose of this priest is, was to to uh, to be a representation or a mediator for the people to God. The office was established by Aaron, the the brother of Moses, and the high priests were the head priests of the tabernacle and then later the temple. Okay, so they were the ones that ran it all. And in those days, you couldn't just stand before God; you had to have somebody make a sacrifice for you. Right? That's how the structure was. And so the early priests. Would go into this center room in the center of the tabernacle and, and, and you see this in the middle of the tabernacle related to the temple this is a place that no one else could go into except for them and one time a year in the most holy place they would do a, a, a day of atonement and they would make sacrifices okay they make sacrifices for the people of israel's sins now throughout the hebrew text there is a foreshadowing or there's a foretelling of this hope in this more perfect high priesthood that represents Yahweh even more effectively than these high priests, right? And so the people of Israel are just like, man, I know that there is this Messiah coming, this priest that's even higher than the priests that are here on earth that are going to give us hope even more and it'd be a sufficient mediator for all people. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, That is Jesus. That is Jesus. He is gonna be the high priest. He's gonna put him in his right thing. He's gonna say all the positions that you've ever put in Jesus in your life, it's important to understand him as king and high priest. Now, why is it important for the high priest? Because the role is so much higher than any other earthly priest you can imagine. He's gonna go a little bit further. He's gonna say, and notice he uses this line, he says, he passed through the heavens. Meaning where the earthly priest is doing this in a man-made building, Jesus is right now doing this real time in a heavenly realm. This is happening right now in the heavenly realm. So the earthly priests are, are confined to this man-made building. But in the heavenly realm, Jesus is there doing this as we speak. For Jesus to ascend at the resurrection, to take the place in the heavenly realms, he had to cross over the material world, what we are all experiencing right now, and going into the eternal unseen realm. And there's an eternal unseen realm where this is happening right now. This is why I get so worked up about how we as a church worship. Because when we worship, we are connecting, and we are moving ourselves past this scene realm that we are all experiencing, all the pains and all the frustrations and all the insecurities, and all the worry and all that kind of stuff. And we're moving ourselves into this heavenly realm with Jesus. This is significant to understand what's happening in this heavenly realm. And so for Jesus to ascend there, this tabernacle, it was this elaborate plan that God gave to Moses, right? It's this elaborate plan. If you ever read it in the Old Testament, it's a lot of detail. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of units and cubics and all that kind of stuff that you you know you can read. But it's really the importance that all the details and all the spacing and all the specifics. I can never say that. I knew I worked on it like ten times last night. Specificity. I didn't even get it right. Already, were given to Moses for a reason because everything was supposed to look a certain way. Why is that? Because the tabernacle is a picture of what is happening in the heavenly realms. And God is so gracious to us that he's going to say, I'm going to give you a foretaste. I'm going to give you a foreshadow of what is happening when you're in my presence 24-7, 365. Where time doesn't even exist, but that's the best way we can kind of think of it that way. Right? That right? this is happening in the heavenly tabernacle because there's a tabernacle in the heavenly realm it's a place where Yahweh's throne is and the throne of God, it's also, if we're being honest, the center of our universe. Yeah. The center of our universe, the thing that we can't figure out, is God's throne, and everything revolves around it. Yeah. And Jesus is moving into this heavenly realm, and he's right there at God's throne, and what is he doing? First Peter 3.22 so says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, meaning that he has the highest place in the universe. Jesus right now is at the highest place in the universe, in the center of the universe, God's throne where everything is revolving around. We have to understand this. This is why worship and prayer is so important to our body because earthly people do not understand this heavenly people understand this. Yes. Yes. And we have to move from the material, everything here, all the crud, I don't want to start to say bad words, but all the stuff, <laughs> muck that we're in. And we have to move ourselves and speak heaven here on earth, but we have yes. to understand what's going on in heaven. Yeah. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. The Bible says the right hand, especially God's right hand, is the hand of strength. Exodus 15, 6, your right hand, Lord, your right hand, Yahweh, was, was majest, majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. It's also a place of authority. Revelations 5.1. Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So it's so important that we understand the positioning of Jesus because he passed through the heavenly temple and what we see is that He seated the right hand, meaning, meaning that he shares in God's strength and he shares in God's authority, and he shares in God's <laughs> blessing. This is what it's going to look like. It's crazy. So what is he doing? Jesus now lives to make intercessions for us in the heavenly realms right now as we speak. Amen. That is what is happening right now. This is one of the reasons why he's better than any earthly priest. He is right now the intercessor for you and I, in God's own presence in the heavenly realm. Yes. It's crazy. Here in the material world, everything's going to fail. Mm-hmm. Everything is temporary, but Jesus has gone into heaven itself, and he's abiding fully in God's presence. That's what he's doing. He's abiding in God's presence eternally as the Son. So let us hold firm to the faith we profess, is what it says. Yes. Let us hold firm to the faith we we profess because faith in Jesus Christ is the investment in where we need to be making here on earth. Yes. Yes, sir. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice yes. of praise. That's why 11 to 1130 is my favorite time of any week because we are coming together and we're offering a sacrifice of yes. praise. The fruit of lips that openly, what? Profess his name. So important that we understand that. We profess our faith. We speak of Christ's goodness with our lips. And when we do so, we hold on tight. It helps us recognize him as the high priest of the cosmos. And it helps us to not shrink back. It helps us to not hold back. Professing, speaking with your mouth is an act of boldness here. He's gonna say this, it's so important because it's continually us saying this, God's friendship is worth enduring whatever comes my way. And when we profess Jesus Christ is Lord, it literally activates our soul. Like I love that song, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me, lift up your voice. Because when we lift up our voice, All we're doing, we're not doing anything right here. We're preparing ourselves for the time that we need to hold firm to our faith. We're building up our faith muscles. And so it's this active active thing that we do when we profess Jesus as Lord. So let's look at why we can be so confident. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are tempted. Yet he did not sin. Our new high priest, Jesus, okay? He understands us. He gets us. If you do not believe that in the room, hear me say this. He understands and he gets you. This is important to the earthly priests as well. That's why earthly priests was actually good because they were of sin too, right? So they understood, they could sacrifice because they had to make a sacrifice for themselves Mm -hmm. first before they could make a sacrifice for others. Mm -hmm. They understood our weakness because they were earthly. They were here and they were human and they had the experience. This is crazy. This is a judo move of God where he sent his only son to become the high priest. And he said, I don't want to lose this sympathy, this empathy, this compassion. And he's going to send Jesus down. He was tested in every way that we have been tested, but there's one difference. He came through it without sin. Yes. That's the one difference. And the son, we have all the benefits. We have a superhuman mediator. That's, like a, that's a name that you don't hear very often for Jesus. A superhuman mediator. Yeah. We have a blameless high priest who, on our behalf, is advocating us for us right now, while at the same time, right, we don't lose the benefits of having an earthly human mediator. It's crazy. Yes. Yes. It's crazy because Jesus shared in the flesh and the blood of you and me, he understands every difficulty that you've ever faced and every difficulty that you are facing right now. He understands your deep desire for addiction. He understands your deep desire for worry and anger and self insecurities and envy and passivity or whatever you fill in the blank, but Jesus understands it because he was tempted by all that too. Yeah, good. When he was down in those awkward teenage years, like we just talked about that we never hear about, he was in that temptation of falling into any sin that you and I have, have, have been tempted to as well. But Jesus, the Son of God, eternal, divine, and glorious, he can also relate to us. So it's like having a lawyer. You, you hire a lawyer. And you want them to know all the facts and you want them to be good and you want them to be able to advocate to you. A great lawyer will also be able to empathize and have compassion and understand your plight. And Jesus right now is advocating at the throne of God. And he's not just saying, hey, my righteousness covers all these people. He's also saying, and I know their pain. I know what they went through. I know how hard this was. And anybody that doesn't feel forgiven today, you can trust that Jesus is doing that right now. He faced physical suffering, he faced emotional suffering, he faced relational troubles, and he's tempted in every way that we could be tempted. By wealth, and by power, and by comfort, whatever you're tempted by, Jesus was tempted that way too. And so we rightfully hold this position of Jesus as the high priest of our life. Not only is he in the heavenly realms, sitting at the right hand of the Father, advocating for eternity for you and me, but he's also a, pre, a high priest that comes with sympathy and he comes with compassion. This is amazing. He's experienced life. It's so important. He went without sin like any other earthly priest and like any other human. He was perfect. And it's important to understand because his perfection and his purity are important because he's serving as a high priest role, and now in the heavenly realm, he's saying, My righteousness serves as credit to you all. Yes, yes. Oh, thank you. So awesome. It's crazy. Mm. Jesus is like king, high priest, mm. and he's also the sacrifice. Yes. They don't have to kill anything else. He's like, Jesus, I got it. I'm all these things. Mm. That's good. It's amazing. So what do we do with it? Hebrews 4:16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence yes. Yes. so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time yes. of need. Yes. Because he is the super mediator, we now what? We now can come near to the throne yes. of grace. Mm-hmm. We come near to the throne of grace. This is a position that no one else had before Jesus died and ascended. Exactly. Yeah. We get to come to the throne of grace because Jesus We get to approach the place of God's presence. When we worship, when we lift our hands up, we are not just saying the words, but we are saying, I am a sinner. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, I'm coming to your throne of grace. It's amazing. And it says we we not only approach it, but it says right here, we approach with confidence and boldness. We actually come with confidence and boldness. All right, vulnerability time. I, uh, if you really know me, this is not gonna be a shock, but I have com- I have I have confidence problems. I, I hate coming up here and doing this. I really do. It's not like something that like I like get excited about. I've always had confidence. Even something I'm good at, I've had confidence problems. It's it's something that I've had to overcome. But I also have this weird thing where I like I like I think that I'm better than I am. Let's just say that. So this is weird. This is where my mentor is a psychologist, and he said, it's got to be hard to be you, Kurt. And I said, you have no idea. (laughs) I took this Strength Finders class, or Strength Finders book. I don't know if you've ever done Strength Finders. It's like you take this test, and it skews out stuff you have. And they have things like Achiever, and Woo, and Maximizer, and Strategic, all these things that you want. My number one was self-assurance. And so self-assurance, <laughs> I literally just false negative to the test. It's totally fine. I know that I did. Like I, I want to be confident. I Everything in me wants to be confident, but I don't have it. I don't naturally have confidence. And so it's a weird thing. I think many of you can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I like, think even in our faith, there's times where we just don't feel yeah. confident in our faith. Right. And what's crazy about this is as I read this, there, there's two ways that you can approach it. There's this Confidence where you just gotta muster up confidence and boldness and you just gotta go do it. But that's not what the author's saying. That's not what the author's saying. Amazing thing is that he's saying, when it comes to faith, we shouldn't have a confidence problem because he's not talking about our confidence. He's talking about He's talking about confidence, confidence that doesn't come in ourselves. It's confidence in Christ if you ever have trouble praying, if you ever have trouble worshipping, you have to get out of the eternal or internal, like the, not internal, you have to get out of this earthly perspective and you have to say, okay, what is happening right now in the heavenly realms? Even if you like are just kind of believing in this stuff, like it's a weird thing. I've been a believer for, I don't even know, 30 years now. It's a weird thing still for me. To understand what's happening in the heavenly realms but when you just say God what is happening in the heavenly realms and you realize that God is sitting there on the throne and Jesus is advocating for us and we can just live in that we can come confidently and say I gotta just enter into the throne of grace where grace emanates many of us didn't grow up with graceful parents many of us didn't grow up with graceful friends many of us didn't grow up with graceful teachers we don't maybe even understand grace but the king of the universe, his throne, is is the place of grace. Yes. Yes. The center of the universe is the place of grace. He has set it up that he is a perfect God. Yes. And no matter what you did, he sent his son. His son's sitting there right on his right hand. He's saying, I got this guy. Yes. I got this girl. I got this uh-huh. son. I got this daughter. I got this brother. Yes. I got this sister. I did it. And not only did I do it, but I understand. So I'm going to love them. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down. I'm going to just comfort them. It doesn't matter what you've done. The confidence and endurance needed to continue the journey. And we have perseverance in the challenges. We draw on the throne of grace. So as we come together, as each one of us come together, what are we doing? We're drawing close to God who moves us into the center of the cosmos. That's what we're doing. Church would be ridiculous if it wasn't that. I'm just going to be honest with you. What are we doing? Right? Like, you guys are given an hour and a half of your time, right? But we're all coming together, however many people of us, and we're saying, you know what? I'm going to come to the center of the cosmos, to the center of the universe. Together, we come and we go to the throne of God itself. And by contrast, When we drift away, we are moving away from the center of the universe. We we lose our discipline. We start drifting away. We actually are drifting away the amazing things that can happen in the heavenly realm. That's how significant this is. When you begin to drift away from your faith, when you begin to just move away, you're moving away from the center of the cosmos, the place where grace emanates. Powerful stuff we drift back to the society to the culture to the old ways we move away from the throne of god it's very significant this is powerful stuff now following jesus for the original disciples and the people that were reading this it is true of us too they're going to find themselves in the margins of society now why is that a good thing i'm just going to put this out there socially as we live different we are going to be strange ones in our society yes. we are that's totally fine. i got more bad news if you want it but we move to earth when we move around this earth, we may just feel bad. No, I, I'm doing a terrible sales job, but it may just feel bad It may just feel bad. It's gonna happen yeah. When we become the strange ones, we, it comes with embarrassment, it comes with awkwardness, it comes with relationships that get broken, it gets weird. But when we move to the margins of society, it's actually moving us closer to the center of the universe. Yes. Yes. That's what people of not faith don't understand. Yes. It moves us when we find ourselves in this place of like, man, this is too hard. I, like the Jewish Christians and the Hebrews like, I just want to go back to my old ways. It was so much easier. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Actually, when you get pushed to the margins of society... You move closer to the throne of favor. You move closer to the throne of God. Moving to the margins is where God is concerned with anyway. Mm -hmm. Read the Bible. (laughs) He's concerned about those in the margins. He's concerned about us that are far away that feel like we're just getting pushed away from the the center of the earth universe, but he's saying, come to the cosmos universe, to the heavenly place where the throne of God is, where grace comes out of, where true grace comes out of. And so we live as awkward people, but we draw closer and nearer to the throne, to the one who empathizes with us, to the high priest, the one who's advocating for us, the challenge we face is that the temptation, like these people that were reading this or that were hearing this sermon, they were facing the temptation to shrink back, to become passive, to not lean in, to just drift away. Mm. Yes. But that's not what we're called to. Mm. No. have you come on up. I can't think of a more appropriate way to end this sermon than we're just going to take communion together. Because communion is remembering what Jesus did. In remembering what happens, we put him in his rightful position, right? That's, I think, why Jesus had us do this. Because it's a time where we all come together. And when we do this, we actually come to the throne of grace. We come to the center of the universe. And when we partake in the communion, we actually know what's happening in the center of the universe. So I'm I'm going to, uh, I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to... Go slowly with this communion, so don't don't rush too hard. Although you can start opening them, because sometimes it takes 20 minutes to open them. <laughs> <laughs> I want to spend some time with this. So often we jump in, and I've I've been I didn't mean to say this, but I've been doing this pause app by John Eldridge. I, I recommend it if you don't I haven't heard of it. It's a it's like a 30 day. Two day times a day uh, app on building up your your resilience in, through what God says about you. It's really amazing. But what I what I forgot is that it's really good for us. and We don't do this as a church just to spend time in prayer and asking for the Lord to forgive us. Just just sitting in His grace. And so if you're if you're a Christian, just go 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 ahead and bow your heads. Everyone bow your heads. If, if you're not yet a believer. If you are a believer, I want you just to pray, I want you to spend time just praying for the Lord to reveal in you things that you just muck, that you just need to get out of yourself. Some of this stuff you know you did, that's, He forgives you. Some of this stuff that you don't even know, you're like unaware, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and just reveal it in you. He's gonna just reveal it in you, but spend some time, and then just spend some time repenting. And when we repent, when we confess our sins, what's happening is, the Lord of the cosmos, Jesus, is just advocating for us. Just saying, I got you. When we, when, we, when we believe in Jesus, when we confess our sins, when we repent with our heart, Jesus right now, in the heavenly realms, right now, he's just laying his righteousness over us. You don't yet believe. This is your time. Just ask Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe that you came and you died, that you rose and you're now in the heavenly realms and you are the forgiver of all my sins. And I trust in you. what you ultimately have for us. Thank you, Jesus. And then while you're, while you're sitting there, I, want, I wanted to spend some time praying because I was thinking about this. Anywhere that you have fallen short in putting Christ in his rightful place in your life, Anywhere that you've said, you know what, I've got this. You know what, I can handle it. You know what, I'm a good person. spirit right now, reveal to them, to all of us, any way that we just need to put you in the right places, Lord, of live our lives. Night he was portrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread and when he gave thanks and broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. Thank you, God. supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant and my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me thanks be to god and remember he did this because he loves you man come on up we're going to do one more song And stand your feet. We're going to pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your only Son, to who can relate to us in every aspect of our life. Only you, God, would send it up like that. We're amazed by that, Lord. We thank you that you always have made a way for us, even as people who are just sinful. Just, we all want to do the right things, but we find ourselves just doing the wrong things over and over again. And yet you made a superhuman mediator that just forgives all of our sins, Lord Jesus. We thank you for you, Jesus, that right now in the heavenly realm. So I pray right now as we head into this last song, just in whatever way it is for each person, I know that everyone worships differently, but that we would just be able to for for a moment leave our earthly perspective and connect in the heavenly realm to understand that right now, all angels and all authority and all power is under the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. And so we thank you for that, Lord. So let us enter in and let's come straight up with confidence and boldness to the throne of grace, Lord. We yes. love you with all that we are, in Jesus' name.